0: Welcome to Women Waken, a podcast that helps you heal spiritually from trauma in relationships, early life, childhood, and conditioning, to shift from a place of codependency to a state of divine feminine love, acceptance, harmony, and abundance. On Women Waken, we begin the journey to waken from the illusion of needing to prove our worth into the divine experience of knowing our worth. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. I'm also a fellow human being who has faced most of the issues that I address on this show. On today's guest episode, I speak with the highly attuned Myra Holzman. Myra is a licensed clinical social worker. She does body-based somatic therapy and helps adults heal from childhood trauma. On this episode, we get into so many beautiful topics around what is somatic work? How can it help address some of these stored experiences and feelings that result in held trauma? How can somatics help to release this energy from the body, how it helps address the mind and body connection. Myra gets into the power of somatics, the power of attunement, how embodiment is a path to empowerment, and how somatics can really help you to nourish your soul. So take a listen and enjoy. Hey, Myra, welcome to Women Waken podcast.
1: Whitney, we're finally here together. I'm so stoked to be here finally.
0: We're finally here. Can you believe it? We first (laughs) talked in December and now we're halfway through
1: 2023. (laughs) Exactly. That was a while ago. We had some scheduling stuff and now we're here. So it's great.
0: Yeah. How's the year treating you? How is 2023 for Myra?
1: Uh overall good. It's also been a really uh steep learning curve business-wise, which is also part of my personal growth. Just a lot of roller coasters, a lot more stress that I've experienced. Um, you know, which stress at least for me is a great opportunity to pay attention to what lessons I'm supposed to be learning. Um because that's kind of how growth goes. I'm sure you can relate. Growth isn't like this generally speaking this easy soft path. It can be really kind of rough and tumble and very roller coastery. So that's that's been my 2023, and overall things are really good, and I'm feeling super hopeful about the rest of the year and moving forward.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, word on the street and with the cosmic community is that the second half is going to be good. It's <laughs> going to be, you know, it's it's going to be more that sunshine. You know, having your rewards come through, reaping the harvest. Because I, I agree, the first six months have been, or well, we're in June, so it's only been really been five months, but it's, five. It's been like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's what it feels like around here too. So I feel even better now that you've told me that the second half of the year maybe will be a little bit more easeful and a little more flowing. Yes. That's yeah. it. So
0: anyone listening, you can look forward to a a good <laughs> remainder of the year. So, Myra, you mentioned that it's often the more challenging time. I would call it the grit. The grit is what helps you grow, right? It's not yeah. the easy, smooth happy times like the rest of this year. It's the first this year so far, which is the stuff that really challenges you and makes you go through these adversities. So I would say that this ties in a lot to your work, our work in general. We're we're both therapists, right? You're an LCSW licensed social worker. So we, we, that's what we do. We work with people through the grit. We work with the stuff that sticks with them. That's That's what I think of trauma is it's the grit we've gone through that we'd love to think we can just go through challenges and, you know, ad- adverse events, but sometimes they stay in our emotional body when they're really, they really do. traumatic. So Myra, you focus on somatic therapy or somatically trained therapist. You help yeah. adults heal from childhood trauma. Could you share a little bit more about that, about your work? And I would love for you to just go ahead and give us that basic or thorough definition, if you'd like, of somatics, because I think a lot of people don't quite know what that term means and how it relates to therapeutic work, to healing.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. So let me start there and just sort of define it, because what I have seen in the last 10 years is that somatic approaches to healing, especially from trauma, have gotten more and more ground. And what I mean by that is that people are um, specifically looking for somatic therapists. A lot of people have heard of Peter Levine's approach called somatic experiencing, which is something that I'm certified in. So somatics is basically incorporating the body as an ally in the healing process. Most of psychology has been built on changing our thoughts, right? If you think about the early teachers, like, um, you know Freud, um, even later on, like Rogerian therapy, a lot of it had to do with attending to the thought patterns that we have. And so what somatic therapy is really about is helping clients learn how to listen to their body in a very particular way. And for me, in my training, it's also really about Paying attention to how that person's my client's nervous system is speaking to me, versus sometimes a narrative that they tell me because sometimes narratives just kind of get locked in we have these ideas of who we are based on what's happened to us. And my job in a nutshell, is to help open up a client's body as a resource for them to use in order to heal and also to create sustainable and lasting change and healing by working from the bottom up, meaning from the body up until the up into the mind versus traditional top-down methods like CBT or DBT or ACT, which focus a lot on thoughts and managing your thoughts and paying attention to thoughts, and then secondarily incorporating the body um, Uh, as something to pay attention to. So a lot of somatic therapy, at least the way that I do it is about nervous system regulation, education, and also helping people to learn, helping people learn how to listen to the nuances of their body so that they can make more informed decisions and more intentional decisions versus decisions that are just made out of habit.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. And it's so, it's very helpful to hear that. Thank you for, for breaking it down. And I, I do think that it's, it's so important to move in this direction. Um, I, I primarily focus on CBT as a therapist, but I agree that it's, it's to me, it's the entry level, right? I'm big on, it's very important to speak your truth, but that's just the first step to release that, to be heard. I think to speak your truth and be, have it be heard and to be witnessed in your experience yes. is a powerful thing. Yet it's not the totality of healing. It's just one level of it, right? It's the expressive self where you feel like, oh, that relief. It's cathartic to share, to speak something that you've been holding inside. But then you recognize that it's held at much, many more levels than just that one level of expression. It's also like you said, the body work where it's it goes deeper in there. And that's, you know, and that's what really needs to happen for full healing to occur. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So then, in your, how did you get into this work of somatics? Did you do it yourself? Did you did you come across it in, you know, various works of your own that you realized, oh wow, this is something that I want to be able to offer?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. It's a great question. Um, so I have my, part of my background, and it is one of the big reasons, one of my deep why's as to why I do the work that I do, is that I have uh, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of trauma, a lot of chaos. Um, a lot of emotional neglect, and a lot of physical abuse. And so when I got to graduate school and completed my program, one of my best friends and colleagues in that program recommended that I check out um, Peter Levine's Somatic Experiencing Therapy. Um, and not for any other reason except for the fact that she knew that I had these really kind of at times I could have these really outsized responses to things that didn't seem a big deal to anybody so that was one of my first it's not like I didn't know what had happened to me but it's different to know what happened to you and then to understand how what happened to you is is currently impacting your day-to-day life so back in 2007 I took my first training it was the beginning one module and from that point on I was I was really hooked um, I'm the kind of person that is deeply embodied. And, and the way that I talk about it is very earthbound, like I'm very grounded and connected to the earth. And so the somatic way of doing therapy just made complete sense to me in, in, on every level. Um, and then one of the things that I specialize in is working with people who have early trauma. And early trauma is defined as things that go wrong, generally speaking, between the ages of zero and three. And the client base that I work with, our client, our 90% of them probably have early trauma. And, and then when things go wrong in those early years, if things don't get um, attended to or cared for, then it can lead to what's called complex trauma because trauma tends to build upon each other. And... Um, so, one of the approaches that I used that I got trained in as a part of the somatic experiencing pathway was learning how to do something called co regulating touch, which is about using a, a, this specific form of therapeutic touch to help heal the nervous system from the inside out and the bottom up, so that those basically, so that the pattern and experience of safety can get embedded and embodied in that person's nervous system in a very obvious and lived experience. So that from that place of having more balance in your nervous system, you pretty much have access to most of the things that people want out of life, meaningful connections, you know, a meaningful job or career, um, enjoying their lives, having goals, like having hobbies, that kind of thing. So I got into it by taking the somatic experiencing route and then meeting a bunch of practitioners who also applied therapeutic touch to their work with clients yeah awesome yeah Yeah.
0: and i'm glad you spoke to that because i also have experienced that what you're describing where people told you you know this isn't a normal response this is a there seems like there's something in there and that really is what it's like when we have those wounds that trauma inside us is it people have called it a charge and i think that that's a appropriate term because one thing that might charge me wouldn't charge somebody else. And it's exactly. important to look at well, there's a reason why. And I think a really big thing that I always let my clients know and encourage them is it's no one's fault. It's not like yeah. we chose to get really upset when somebody says a certain thing to us or when we feel rejected or not seen because that's our unique, you know, wound, that's our unique embedded experience. Yeah. And it's so painful. It's really unpleasant to have that. Again, I've I've had that all my life and it's brutal. It's like, gosh, can this please just go away? It's so hard to be so because it makes you feel like you want to try and control your environment to avoid those experiences, right? That's right. Yeah. And that's no way to live. To try and live. I have to make sure that nobody says anything rude to me or mean to me or rejection to me or anything. You you can't micromanage your outside world.
1: You can't. And I, you know, a a lot of folks that who struggle with early trauma have to manage their environment a lot. Um, One of the things I wanted to remark on that you said is, you know, you basically tell your clients, it's not your fault. Your reaction is not your fault. And I feel like that is one of the best gifts that if you're coming in to see a therapist and you want to focus specifically on trauma, it's one of the best gifts that a therapist can give to a client is not just the words of it, but also that psychoeducation around, you know, things I tell my clients are things like, so your response makes a lot of sense to me, given what you told me about your background, right? So for me, I would have these outsized, really angry responses to things like people showing up late for dinner, right? Because what it did is it sort of like pinged on my abandonment wound and my wound around not feeling important. And I'd be like calling up my friends in those early years before I did, you know, before I did any kind of personal growth work and reading them the riot act. And people would be like, Myra, we're on our way, and I'm just like, yeah, but that's not good enough. And so there was this part of me that kept this wound, especially in my interpersonal relationships, kept getting hit. And when I finally, you know, decided to go to school, but also see a therapist before I started to go to school, that was one of the first things that she told me was like, all of this makes sense, and it's not your fault that you're responding this way. And I'm like, well, obviously it's my fault because I'm the one doing it. I'm the one, you know, being totally unreasonable, and I've lost friends as a result. And when I got the education around, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, like my, my default response when it comes to threat is fight. I will not freeze and I certainly will not run away or back down but if you want to go I'll go. And it's one of the things I've had to really work on because I'm super aware that that is a response that was a response necessary for me in my early life to defend against what was happening in my home, right? Because that anger allowed me to not feel vulnerable or powerless or helpless or unworthy and I can look back now and be like thank goodness, like thank goodness I can understand that because if we can't reduce shame when we're working with our clients and even when we're doing our own Self-regulation um, and self-compassion practices, it just makes the the going really hard. So really I love that it. you said that. Yeah.
0: It really does. And it's that reducing that charge and eventually being able to extinguish those responses is free, it feels like freedom, right? It feels oh like being God. free from this. And you know what's interesting? I don't know if you ever felt this way, Myra, but in a way, that feeling is awful, but I almost felt not in. I felt like I, I had a right to my anger. I had a right to act this way and respond this way. And in a way you, f- it feels at the time, like it's your, you're exerting power. But when I recognize as you, you mentioned, it's our defense as a child, I always liken it. I use the analogy of a porcupine. We're a child. We have nothing. It's not like we can threaten to, you know, take legal action against someone <laughs> or like, Getting the justice, all we can do is push people away and and put out our quills when we feel because we're defenseless otherwise. So, those quills become lashing out and saying, Well, then you can't come over because you're going to be 10 minutes late to dinner. So, turn around and go home. For me, it's like Never call me again. Just forget about it. I don't even <laughs> want to try to to date you or we're not friends anymore and and I, again my rational brain said this is not very mature. This is kind of and but when I went to therapy it was like it's because you learned early that these things meant that you weren't lovable, that you weren't good enough to be considered. So when you feel like people are treating you that way that you're not good enough, you now push them away the way that you know as a defenseless child you learn to do
1: exactly right yeah and I think that's one of the things that you know I I mean I would say that probably 75 to 85 percent of my clientele are clients who struggle with some form of early trauma and or complex trauma and the number one symptom that I see everywhere all the time is this intense self-negation right sometimes people call it self-loathing or low self-worth but it's the way that I hear people, talking about themselves and being super hard on themselves. And I'll do this thing, especially especially when I'm working with the client's, clients that are new, because their negative self-talk just sounds like they're every every day. It's like, yeah, this is just how I am. And they don't necessarily think about it. And as they're talking, I'll make these motions like, wow. And I'll just, you know, I'll pretend right now I'm pretending my fist is hitting my face. And I'm just like, you know, I'll say something, some, something like, I don't know if I would ever let anybody talk to me the way that you're talking to yourself. And it makes me hurt for you that this is just how it is that you interact. And when you give a client that reflection about just how intensely they are beating themselves up, it starts along with, you know, psychoeducation and education about their nervous system and about the fight, flight, freeze response and the, you know, survival efforts, it starts to change the game. And then one of the things that I see happen next is this door kind of opens into greater self-compassion they have a greater ability to, instead of shaming themselves to be like, yeah, of course I lost my, you know, of course I lost my marbles over that comment because it reminded me of that time that my mom did X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, clients can start to connect the dots. And it's so, especially with early trauma, it is so, it's housed so deeply in their subconscious and unconscious that it takes, it takes time and it takes practice for them to be like, okay, this continues to not work, right? So I'm a somatic therapist. So one of the things I do is when they're beating themselves up, I'm saying things like, just notice how that thought feels in your body. And if you like it, if you like the way that feels in your body, then I'm gonna encourage you to keep doing it. And I haven't met a client yet that's like, yeah, this feels really good when my chest tightens and my shoulders are up by my ears and I can barely breathe and I'm about to start crying. It's like, right. So maybe we could try something different and see what it is to just give yourself a little bit of a break and notice like even this much relief that happens, starts to flood your body. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they can say, wow, that does feel better. better <laughs> yes. Not to respond that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that you brought up also you know, that when you put like punching yourself in the face, I I often also share with my clients when they're talking about negative self-thought, I I offer that, you know, negative self-criticism and talk is the same as self-harming. It's just done at the emotional level. Right. And I I would tell them, I would say, you have to picture that every time you say that it's as if you're taking, you know, that taking a a knife and doing little slices on your arm, you're hurting yourself. If you could see physically what you're doing emotionally to yourself, you might think, you might realize just how harmful it is because we think so often- and also because self-criticism and self-degradation has become so commonplace
1: in our society it that we're,
0: we're like, oh, it's no big deal, but it is a big deal.
1: Yeah, it's a really big deal. And I really appreciate, I think I probably use that same analogy of like death by a thousand paper cuts. And you know the other thing that I keep telling my clients too is, so every time that you have this automatic self-negating thought then your brain perceives what's happening as a threat. And when your brain perceives threat, what it's going to do is it's going to change the way that your body works and the way that it flows, right? So for example, I talk about brace patterns all the time with my clients, right? So I'm sitting there observing. That's one of the things I do as a somatic therapist is I'm really observing closely what my, not just what my clients are saying, but more what they're doing. So when they start talking about, you know, like, what a piece of garbage they are, how they like didn't get something right, right? And I'm watching their shoulders slowly start creeping up by their ears and their chest and their their belly are no longer breathing. I'll say things like, just notice that you can't breathe right now and just tell me how that is for you, right? Because they don't recognize because it is just the water that they swim in that every time they have this thought and they they give it power or they sit there and perseverate or ruminate on it their body continues to come up into this called you know constriction or anti gravity effort and when you're in anti gravity part of what happens is Not only are you in a fear-based and also sort of pattern kind of place, but you necessarily limit the amount of joy that gets to come into your system. Because, you know, fear and joy might be two sides of the same coin, but boy, they sure do seem really far apart from each other. If you're living in fear all the time, joy is going to naturally be diminished, which is one of the big reasons why I'm always always trying to sell the somatic approach, whether it's to my clients that are coming in, the new ones, or to anyone that will listen to talk about it. Because of course, I have to use top-down approaches with what I'm doing with clients. And the body-based stuff is where they actually get the the sustainable healing, where they're not just having to regulate all day long by breathing a certain way or thinking certain thoughts or you know, eating this on Monday and this on Tuesday and like really controlling their environment. Yes. Um, does that make sense? Oh, completely,
0: completely. And it's kind of what I was speaking to earlier is that we can think that by creating these, you know, imaginative control mechanisms that we're that we kind of need to enforce this. And that I don't know, for me it's 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 um well, they say that fear is holding on and love is letting go. So I feel like when we're in that Mm. reactive mode, we're like, I'm gonna control everything so no one can hurt me again and I never have to experience that trauma again. And what we don't realize is exactly what you said, Myra, is that then we are literally. Blocking out joy because That's when you're right. clenched up, you cannot let love in. You're you're you know you're holding back the pain, maybe not really because you're creating pain in that yes. experience of clenching, but you're also keeping out the joy. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess what what I keep trying to get at is that sometimes it feels like you, or at least for me, when I'm in those modes, it's I want to be in that mode. It's weird. It's like I don't realize that I'm keeping out joy. I feel like I just want to be angry. It almost feels good to be angry. And I think it's because we were, that trauma really lives with us. And it's like, yeah, you almost want to, it's like, you're giving the finger or something to your past. But what I've realized is that when we start to heal, we're like, who am I really giving the finger to nobody except for me? I'm the only one that's suffering from this. I'm not taking away what somebody did to me. I'm not making someone realize how much they hurt me. I'm just hurting myself.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, it's bringing up when I was starting to do my own personal work and I was realizing the damage that not only my self negating thoughts had, but my anger in general, right? So part of what happens when anger is healthy is we can discharge that anger. We can just be like, I'm so mad. And then you can just sort of pivot. And when you grow up in the kind of household that I grew up where you just didn't, you had to obey and you were, you know, like you were, I was I was taught that in order to be loved and worthy, I had to be a certain way that fit the way that my parents could then be regulated. And for me, that didn't fit because that wasn't the truth of who I really was. So I really love what you just said, because I think it's really important. It feels good in the moment. It still feels good in the moment, quite frankly, because there are, you know, if if you look at it objectively at least for me, would I rather feel empowered by being angry or would I rather feel vulnerable and helpless? Because that vulnerability and helpless reminds me of the way that I grew up. And so most of the time, almost automatically, I'm going to be like, I'm going to rush to anger. And then because I've done so much work, both top down and bottom up, I'm like, yeah, and you could do this, Myra, like you could spiral, you could flip someone the finger while you're driving, you could, you know, read the riot act to your kid. And all it's going to do is damage the relationships that most matter to you and teach your body to stay in the same pattern of fight.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So Myra, share a little bit about what does your work look like when you start doing somatic work? How are you helping people to release that charge, to release that really embodied feeling of, I can't let go of this. I have to keep this shield up. I have to have, it's like this tiger. That's what I was, whenever I get in that mode, it's like the tiger's being unleashed and it's like your wrath is coming forward. And we feel like that's our protection mechanism. And I do believe there's a time and a place. Anger is a healthy emotion, but when it becomes rage, that's when it becomes painful to you and, you know, not beneficial. Exactly. So so what, what are you doing with people when you're helping them reduce that charge and shift it so that that tiger doesn't kind of appear as much.
1: So one of the things about um, nervous system regulation that might not be talked about openly is that, so um, approaches like somatic experiencing, Um, At least when I went through the training, it was really designed for shock trauma events. And for your listeners that don't know the difference, shock trauma is usually like a one-time event where your life felt threatened or things were overwhelming and your body didn't know how to respond, so it went into fight, fight, or freeze. And when you have early trauma, so again, early trauma is when things go pretty wrong in the first three years of life. In those first three years of life, when your brain is developing and your nervous system is also developing and then patterns are starting to get laid down in your brain, the the experience of safety, which allows a nervous system to come up into activation and then settle. So a healthy just a sidebar, a healthy nervous system comes up to activation and then settle. And without very much ado, people can just sort of pivot out of, you know, high states of activation like anxiety or even low states of um, low states of depression. But that rhythm of rise and fall in the nervous system, which is akin to the sympathetic nervous system firing and then the par- parasympathetic nervous system firing, isn't in place. So, the clients that are coming to see me are really stuck. I mean, they are stuck in self negation, they're stuck in beating themselves up, they're stuck in a lot of different habits that don't actually work for their lives. And so talking is not the thing that I do, because even though they're conscious of it, and clients have said this to me time again, like, I know that, like, my reaction is outsized, but I feel like I can't do anything about it. Because when it happens, and I'm triggered, I'm just I'm just right in that sort of automatic response. And so the work that I do with clients, the clients that are attracted to me, I'm doing all touch work, So, what that means is so, part of co regulating touch is about um, from the bottom up is helping the like helping to remind the nervous system of this known pattern of rise and fall. And the way that I do that, it's going to sound funny the way I describe it, but basically, I hold the regulatory systems in the body. So, uh, a client lays down face up, fully clothed on my table. I will hold their kidneys. So kidney right above the kidney is the adrenal system, which governs adrenaline and and norepinephrine and all those sort of up chemicals. And so part of what I'm really doing is teaching the client's body how to come deeper into their parasympathetic branch of the nervous system, which is about the restore, like the the restorative functions of the body, as well as rest and digest. And so a typical session will look like Clients coming in, you know, maybe the, once we're underway for the first 10 to 15 minutes chatting and checking in about things, and then they're laying down and, and I call it, we're doing regulation work. And I'm touching the kidneys, the brainstem, and sometimes the stomach as part of the places to uh, create regulation in the body. And then as we move through time, it's all, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it to you, but it's almost like automatically, clients have more access to self-compassion, they are less reactive in general. They can be more aware of some of their patterns and do something about it. Or if they get into a triggered response, they're in that response um, in a lot less time and they have more of more access to their skill base, whether it's somatic grounding skills or affirmations or breathing a certain way or other ways of, of regulating. Um, and a lot of what begins the session is a lot of education about how the nervous system functions so that clients can know, like, okay, where am I on the map? Am I within my window of capacity, meaning my ability to sort of be present and pay attention, or am I way outside of it and I'm triggered and I just sort of have to see if I can ride the wave without making things worse? So there is some talking, but a lot of it is this sort of quiet connected, safe enough togetherness experience that they can, that their bodies can experience on a regular basis that starts to really turn the tide so that for all of the top-down skills I want to give them, they can do it a lot easier. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. That's such beautiful work. And, you know, Myra, you also speak to the connection of the mind and body that they're one. It's all just one, one thing. And that when we're able to integrate the two, then spiritual growth expands. So when yeah. you just described your process of somatic work, I initially, I immediately thought about how, if you can get that sort of untangled, if you can really start to, because you just, just, it's not, when it comes to the body, it isn't, you're no longer cerebral. You're no longer doing cognitive stuff. You're just allowing your body to release and do what it needs without words. That's right. And I've thought of you know, what a beautiful combination that is with maybe EMDR or brain spotting, where you're also releasing these patterns and associations cognitively that are keeping you stuck and in patterns and in certain beliefs about something that happens. So between the two, that seems like a lot of <laughs> broken freedom.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the visuals that I often have and I was watching you gesture from like your head to your heart or your head to your body. So, you know, my teachers there's a particular place that we touch into. It's called the the structure is called the mediastinum. And my teachers, one of my teachers, Kathy Kane, who wrote the book with Stephen Terrell called Nurturing Resilience. Um they talk about this this structure in your mediastinum, which is basically in your upper chest, and they talk about this structure, they say if the soul had a physical apparatus in the body, it would be the mediastinum. And so when I'm doing this work and and the client's body is doing this work to integrate mind and body, I get this visual of like, okay, heaven can come down now through my mind and earth can come up through my body. And right in the center is where my heart space is and where my soul can come into alignment. So at all times, what I'm really trying to do is just to get both of those two talking at the same time. And what I have found for me and other people have lots of different experiences, but I seem to have greater access to to spirit, to God, to source, whatever word that you use when I am more regulated. And it feels like a relationship versus, for example, me praying to God and and praying for it to win the lottery or something like that. There's just a sort of back and forth. And when, at least for me, when I can be operating mostly from my spiritual or my soul-centered self, everything thing is better. And I've noticed, especially like in the work that I do with clients, there's a way that, you know, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk about this because I don't talk about this very often. So I'm really appreciating having this conversation with you, but there is something really powerful as a clinician to be really soul centered and in alignment with, um, your version of spirituality or religion, because that lends itself to healing, right? Like I think about spirit, like one of the ways I think about myself is I'm a light bearer. So if I'm someone that's bringing light to the world and supporting the world and, and, you know, moving towards more light versus more darkness, then the more regulated I am, the more capacity I have to bring a fuller experience, not just the healing experience, but also a restoration of some kind of connection to something greater for that person to be able to rest into as a source of comfort and safety and belonging, even though it might not be happening on the earthly plane.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad that you're speaking to that because it is, they say the truth will set you free. Yeah, And that's true on so many levels based on what we've talked about already. When we see the truth of our trauma, it sets us free. It was never our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, We re-look at it, release the truth. But also we are so much more than just our bodies than just our yes. minds. And yes, we need to release the things that in this earthly experience we've you know cre- experienced and hold on to. But when you get that like you said when things align and you start to really feel your heart and your soul, you see that um you get that peace. And when you and to me peace is is when you're in alignment. Peace is a sign that you are you're aligned, right? You talk about embodiment, which I'd like you to get into more. I'd like yeah. you to talk about attunement, but First, let's just say that, yes, when we're able to hold that space for someone and they're in that zone of realizing I, nothing that happened to me ever really truly harmed me or could ever change me who, who I am fundamentally. Cause when you're in your heart, you realize, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing that was broken or damaged. And that to me is spirituality. And that to me can set people free greater than any form of, you know, just base level talk which again yeah. can be helpful in its own way, but it's that true. Cause then, then you're not trying to figure it out. You're feeling it.
1: Yeah, that's right. You're feeling it and you're trusting the flow of what happens to you. I mean, that's one of the ways that spirituality shows up for me. I mean, you asked me this question, How is your year gone? And one of the things I had to do that I felt like was deep spiritual practice was be like, okay, things are really hard right now. And Part of what I'm supposed to be learning is learning how to ride this wave where everything isn't hunky-dory most of the time. It's like, no, I was in it. I was full of fear, full of insecurity. And when I have that sense of connectedness to something greater than me, right? Source is what I call, you know, source or angels that's where I can just sort of rest a little bit because that is, the human experience is, you know we know that there's a negative bias to the brain and spirituality allows me to transcend that and be like, you know what? The world is actually not burning down right now. Like I can look around my office and see where I'm at and be like, okay, the world is okay. It's just that I'm full of fear and what can I do to get more connected? And embodiment is one of the ways, embodiment and attunement. So let's talk about that because- Let's talk about that. I mean, embodiment is literally one of my favorite topics And basically the way that I define embodiment is an ability to inhabit and live inside your body with a sense of attunement, right? And attunement is the ability to listen and be with whatever is happening in that particular experience. It could be in a relationship or it could be happening in your body. And, you know, we live in a really fast paced modern society and it is so easy. I mean, ridiculously easy to just utterly disconnect from our bodies and be in our heads all of the time. And what I tell clients is, you know, I'll say to them and I'll gesture like, you know, that there's like way more, um, you know, sensory neurons that go down into the body, giving your brain all this information about what's happening below the neck than there is above the neck. And yet most people will be like, well, I don't believe it. So it's not true. Or they will believe their thoughts before they will believe the thing that's happening in their body. It's like the client that's like, I shouldn't be crying right now. It shouldn't have hurt my feelings that my you know, dad or my mom said this to me. It's like. Yeah, except for the fact that what they said to you felt like an attack. And one of the ways that the body learns how to regulate is to cry. When you cry, your body's actually learning how to downregulate. So embodiment to me when I'm teaching it to clients and supporting them is just, first of all, it's just learning how to like do it. Like, how do you just learn how to pay attention to your breath and then notice, does my breathing feel good? Does it feel bad? right is there something else that this you know breathing the way that i'm breathing might be indicating might it indicate a fear response might it indicate that i feel relief or i feel connected and it is for whatever reason it's just too easy for people to not know how to be in their bodies
0: yeah, yeah. It, well, i think it's because we learn to leave our bodies we learn to um Yes. Unfortunately, we find many more ways to be angry and disapproving of our bodies rather than embracing because, I mean, it's very problematic as we know the messaging we get from the time we're born in our society, which is that if you're not like this and if you're like this, then this is wrong and this is bad and this is good and this is approving, you know, approvable and this is not acceptable. And so we get these ideas of like, Oh my gosh, I can't be with myself. I can't accept and be present in my body. Even when I'm criticized, even when I'm insulted, even when I don't look how how I'm supposed to look. Right. It's like we jump ship. We want to get out. And so we we do disembody and we don't feel safe. And also our body has given us all these feelings and reactions. And we're like, I don't like this. I want out.
1: <laughs> we don't learn yeah.
0: this is what you just talked about, which is to just sit with it and be present and feel it and be with it, be mm-hmm. embodied, you know, to yes. attune and respect and say, this is my feeling and it's yeah. okay to have it. This That's is right. my body. And even if somebody else criticizes it, I'm not going to abandon it. That's right. More often than not, we do because we're so afraid of that rejection and not measuring up and not being good enough.
1: Agreed. You know, in the especially in the case of like abuse or neglect, um, Mm -hmm. when when. And this is for your listeners right now, for any of your listeners that grew up in homes where their emotional experience was consistently denied. And I'm even talking about not even abuse or neglect. It might Like I have a client that I work with and she grew up in a home where if she had any kind of bad feeling, her mom would say something like, well, just perk up, it'll be okay. And she would sort of go into this like, you know, I'll call it toxic positivity. And part of what that taught her is that any emotion that wasn't happy or good or triumphant or whatever it was, was not really worth mentioning. And so she learned how to put away all of these really intense feelings that she had growing up, whether it was feeling insecure or feeling afraid, because it it kept getting poo-pooed. It kept getting kind of like get shoved out of the way. Now, that's a more... I'm not saying it's benign, but it is a way that that can happen. And then it goes all all the the other end of the spectrum is someone that's like, you know, I mean, this is what happened to me, I'd say that that I felt really sad, because my parents were really strict parents, and they'd be like, you have nothing to be sad about. And I'm just like, okay, I guess I have nothing to be sad about. And so you know, my fight response is the way that I think about it is all of these emotions that never got the light of day or, you know, main stage time to just be held and to be like, yeah, no wonder you're mad. You, you know, you got asked to this dance and then this kid rejected you the day before and said he was going to go with someone else. Like that was just not allowed in my house. And so that to me is one of the primary ways that people learn how to disembody because if someone's not coming along going, you know what, Whitney, I can see how upset you are, and no wonder you're upset. Like, let's just give it a little time, and if you knew you didn't need anything, I'm right here. And then you're given the space to feel what's happening in the body with the safe enough person, right? That's another way of staying embodied is like, I'm just going to be in my experience instead of what I learned how to do as a part of survival, which is just push away all of my feelings. So if I I loved your example, because I think that's probably the biggest way that people get disembodied is someone in their environment in their early life consistently denying their emotional experience as important or as true or valid. And then, of course, you're going to disconnect because feelings are actually things. They're actual sensations that happen in the body and physiological shift. And when you've learned how to live a distance from your body, it can be challenging to learn how to like come back home. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. it really is. It really yeah. is. And also to put it out there in terms of having compassion for ourselves, I think that experience of not feeling that, that our emotional experiences are seen or recognized or allowed for, um, we can almost become um sort of hyper um aware of our. And I think some people confuse that with selfishness, right? Like you're like, Oh my gosh, like I, it's like, we can't, we don't know how to handle an emotional experience because we're so used to not being seen that we feel like we need to hyper attend to it. If that makes yes, sense,
1: yes, it does right? make a lot of sense where it's
0: like, Oh, like the world stops when you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so upset. And people are like, what's your deal. And again, it's what we talked about earlier. It's nobody's fault. Nobody chose mm. to be this way. But when you feel like nobody gave a damn that you were hurting and that you were expressing emotion, you are, you basically are reduced to that same age, even if you're an adult having that feeling. And Mm -hmm. that is another thing that happens for us is that we'll be like, why do I feel like I'm a child when this or that happens? And it's because you are in that moment, you basically are (laughs) a child.
1: Yes, that's right. And the way I love that you said that, because one of the things that I talk about with, with my clients consistently is All of the unmet needs that went unmet in your childhood growing up, right? So if your emotions were never validated or made important, that is a deep unmet need. So when you get triggered, when you're talking to your spouse and they're just sort of waving you away or not really listening, and you're like, why are you not listening to me? This is really important. I need you to attend to this. It's that young self that's going, please make me important. Please just pay attention because I'm really trying to tell you something that actually I need your help with because I can't figure it out on my own. And what's true about little kids, I mean, honestly, I feel like this is also true for a lot of adults, but little kids from the ages of zero to 10 have little to no capacity to self-soothe. They require an attuned, loving, safe enough other, whether it's their parents or their grandparents or their mom's best friend or whoever, to show up and be like, okay, sweetheart, I'm right here with you in this. And that to me, I think is the phrase of attunement. It's not about trying to fix someone or rescue them from their experience. It's like, you know, I don't know what to do right now, but I'm going to stay here with you in it so that you don't feel so afraid, so that you don't feel so insecure. You go into beating yourself up. And attunement, misattunement is another sort of larger umbrella of the ways that I think that we as a society learn how to move away from our bodies and stay disembodied because so many interactions kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts are so deeply misattuned right? Like I can say early in my marriage, I might say something to my husband, like, you know, I just really need you to listen. And he'll be like, he'll take that as like a rejection or he'll go, he used to go into this shame spiral. And it's like, no, this isn't about you. This is about me. And I'm asking you to show up for this unmet need that has gone unmet for so long in my life. Right. And so, yeah, attunement, disembodiment, I think misattunement leading to disembodiment is big.
0: It is. And I think that most people experience that constantly in their life. And interesting to think that we're speaking from the lens of, of, as a therapist, and we're also speaking to those who are attuned to this kind of talk, but the majority of the population, I would say are not, they don't even know where they wouldn't even know that this kind of talk exists. So they spend their whole life reactive and disembodied and out of attunement and can't even imagine that there's a way they don't even have a name for it. So how do no. they even recognize that there's a different way to experience life, which, and here's the main thing is that because it makes for a better life, better quality of life, <laughs> exactly. when you're able to say, I don't have to feel like shit all the time and reactive and dissatisfied and sensitive that you can attend to these people think that that's just the way that life is. You feel bad about yourself. You feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You feel very reactive. You can't handle certain things. It's all a part. It's a gift really of the soul to grow to, it's the soul's growth to say, maybe there's a, maybe this is happening for a reason. Maybe it wasn't my fault. Maybe I can change this. Maybe I can shift this. Maybe I can work with this and have a higher experience, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Have more peace. I mean, everything you just said breaks my heart because I know it to be true, right? Like, so, I mean, you just walk around in your day to day, and at least for me, and I know that I'm making up stories and possibly judging, but it's like, you know, we just, if we're not offered a different way of doing a thing, if we don't have any idea that there are books out there, or that there are people that You know, this is this is just a brief example. But, you know, when I cancel on my friends to do something nearly 100 percent of the time, they're like, yeah, take good care of yourself. Like, obviously, you're canceling because you need to take good care. That is not something I would have ever thought in my young life that is possible because I just thought I had to be the best friend. I had to be the perfect friend. And in order to get loving, love, belonging and safety, I had to show up and be what other people needed to be. And it is it's really tragic that people like I just met someone recently, um, a friend of a friend, and he was telling me about his really intense childhood, like he used to, you know, um, be in a gang, he used to sell drugs, he'd been to jail multiple times. And I'd say things to him, like, that's really intense that you like his parents kicked him out when he was 14. And, you know, his house got raided and all of these kinds of things. And he's like, yeah, I know, I have a lot of trauma, I just don't know what to do about it. And I was like, That's the problem. Like people don't know where to turn, and so they just they just learn to live with it, right? They just learn to brace all of the time or accept this thing that is totally unacceptable, whether it's relationships or being treated poorly at work. And I mean, this is the reason why I love doing what I'm doing. I mean, I wish that I could like work myself out of a job, but unfortunately, that's not what's going to happen in this lifetime because there's just so much trauma and misattunement everywhere.
0: Absolutely. But guess what? I believe that conversations like this and work like yours is what will begin to change, turn the tides because I believe that there will come a day where this will be commonplace to recognize our minds, our bodies, our spirit, our heart are all connected. So when one thing affects us physically, we have to acknowledge how it's impacting us mentally and emotionally. Right. right? And we can say this and we're, we can say this is not normal this is not normal. It's not normal to feel like I have to push through every day and deal with this deep grief and pain. I mean, I, this for you saying that brings up the idea of veterans, people who have to walk through life with this severe trauma that they think there's nothing I can do about this, these nightmares, this, you know, insomnia, these, this torturous
1: experience,
0: but there is, and, and it's, you know, it takes a lot to to work with that but you can and you can. but you don't but you don't have to be a veteran to have your life deeply impacted and deeply reduced in, in joy and increased in suffering to needs help and to need to be aware but I, I do believe that it starts with conversations you get the word out and that's why i love podcasts that's why i'm very drawn to communication in this lifetime is that this is how we begin to change pe- who knows whose ears this conversation will land on who will say We. this isn't normal. I don't have to feel this way. This could change. This could go away.
1: Yes, that's right. I agree with you a thousand percent. We need to be talking about these things. And I mean, you know, I've been watching... I've been I've been a therapist for over 20 years and like the fact that it's out at least on my social media page and like out in public people just know about nervous system regulation 10 years ago that's not the conversa- these were not the conversations I was having this was not the stuff I was seeing or hearing about on TV you know social media was a totally different you know animal back 10 years ago but you're right we do need to have these conversations and we need to normalize we need to normalize that there's no normal in some ways right like gabor mate just wrote that book the myth of normal and i've read probably you know not not very much of it but i just love the idea because even though i do believe that what's not normal is to be carrying around this heavy burden and all these torturous experiences it's also really helpful that he this guy is talking about it because you know, normal, it has to, at least for me, in the way that I work with clients, normal has to be defined by what you want to be normal. If what you want to be normal is to be beating yourself up all the time and feeling insecure and feeling exhausted at the end of your days that you don't want to go do anything joyful, well, then you can do that. But if you want something different, there are so many ways to heal. It is incredible. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about in the healing field is there's lots of different modalities in which to get all kinds of support.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. And it's growing and growing. And it's so beautiful. It's now becoming like this buffet of, okay, like this doesn't resonate with me, but this could work for me. And I can't really relate to this, but that sounds good. And it's great. Exactly. We need as many different means of healing trauma as there is trauma, which is there's a million forms of trauma. So there needs so to much. be so much as many offerings as possible. And I see that only increasing and more accessible and more broadly spoken about. And Offered. So agreed.
1: We're on on a great path. Yes. So,
0: Myra, what are you speak of nourishment a lot? You talk about that work, the nurturing resilience. And also you talk about nourishing the soul. I think it's a great first step. And maybe you could offer some of the listeners what can they do? Let's say they hear this and they think, wow, I would really love to be able to embody more and feel more attuned and feel more peace. But just in a moment, like how do you offer people to nourish themselves.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I do with pretty much every new client, and then it's something that we stick through throughout our time together, is I will invite them to look for one experience in their day that was good enough. And by good enough, I really mean good enough. It doesn't have to be like this perfect sunset or You know, my husband made me the most romantic dinner ever. It can be like, when was a moment you maybe felt a little bit less anxious or you felt like you could breathe a little bit better? And all I want you to do is I want you to remember that moment. And as you remember it, I want you to also then send your attention south into your body and notice how your body might be starting to shift, particularly looking for things like feeling less constricted and more flowing feeling a sense of softening or relaxation downward, a sense of um, a good feeling of like heaviness or lightness. So one way, and this this to me is like one of the uh, more simple ways to come into the body. So generally speaking, if I ask a client to tell me how they're doing or what's happening in their body, I'm going to get a negative report. I'm going to be like, oh, my neck is really sore and I couldn't sleep. And so I'm you know, like, my back is in pain. But if I say to them, yeah, like what's one good thing that happened to you since I saw you last session? I will be like, oh yeah, I had this really good work meeting, blah blah, 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 blah. And then I'll say, so do you notice anything happening in your body when you talk about that? And the, if they can't, if they, don't, if they don't know how to track, if they can't figure it out, I'll be like, well, I noticed that as you're talking, you were smiling. And I also noticed that you sat back in your seat and your shoulders went down and you put your feet up on the ottoman. So since that's happening right now, just notice if any part of your experience in this moment feels pretty good. And then they'll go inside and they'll be like, yeah, it's really nice to put my feet up. My legs are really relaxed. And the minute that they can identify one good feeling sensation or experience in the body, then we're off and running. Because that's the hard part about trauma is, you know, for people who have experienced trauma of any sort, you ask them to go in their body and they're like, no, thanks. I don't want to. Because when I go in there, it's either going to feel bad or it's going to feel out of damn control. So I don't even go there in the beginning. I'm not even talking about their trauma. I'm just like literally teaching them how to come into their body through something pleasant enough or good feeling enough. And then once they know how to do that, we can start to get into the harder work where they have to actually learn how to tolerate some of those really uncomfortable and sometimes terrifying sensations and physiological shifts in the body. So that's how I would start is like, what's one good enough experience that when you remember that experience happening, you then notice what happens in the body. And then you can identify like, Wow, I can suddenly breathe easier. That's new and different, right? Because what we're really doing is we're creating a new neural pathway for their orientation to come into their body through what's right versus what's wrong. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: So beautiful. Thank you so much, Myra, for that. That what a fantastic thing for people to hear. And Absolutely. A, a Thank great you for asking. introduction and, and practice. So Myra, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for this conversation. Uh, it's been brilliant. I haven't really dived into somatics and it's so important and so pivotal and, and, and it's such an amazing tool that we yeah. can use. So Agreed. thank you so much.
1: Whitney, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: Absolutely. All right. Oh, and if people want to find you, if they'd like to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so if they go to, we have a website called Somatic Therapy Partners. And on Instagram, we are Somatic in Denver and we're also on Facebook. And then I also do um, some business coaching and somatic support for clinicians. And that website, um, it's called More Thriving Therapists on Facebook. But my main my main place to find me is through the website, somatictherapypartners.com.
0: Perfect. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening to Women Waken. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and come back for more. If you'd like to connect with the Women Waken community, you can find us on Instagram at Women Waken. And if you follow Women Waken, you can get a free tarot card reading if you just send a DM. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your unique light shine into this world.